Sarah Sun is Utah's brand new Miss Utah who will represent them in the Miss America competition this upcoming year. She's from Cedar City, Utah, and is a junior at Brigham Young University, majoring in music and political science. Previously, she served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Southern California and studied applied economics and management at Cornell University. She's also an accomplished concert pianist and has soloed with professional symphonies, including the Utah Symphony, and performed across the U.S. and China, and as a piano soloist at Carnegie Hall. Sarah was crowned Miss Utah 2023 on June 10th in Salt Lake City. She received over $10,000 in scholarships and will spend the upcoming year serving the state and preparing for the Miss America competition. Sarah has a goal to introduce arts education into the Utah State Correctional Facility and assist formerly incarcerated individuals with their transition back to society. And we got to talk all about this initiative and some of the ways she suggests people get involved in breaking down that stigma of incarcerated individuals and helping them have a better future after prison. We also get to talk about her conversion story to the Church of Jesus Christ as the first member in her family with immigrant parents who came from China and their introduction there to Christianity. We also talk about her experience in the Miss Utah pageant and why it was so important to her to choose a dress that fit her modesty standards and how she was the very first and only Miss Utah to ever win both the Spirit of Miss Utah, Miss Congeniality, and the Miss Utah crown in the same year. Sarah is one incredibly remarkable girl, and I cannot wait for you to get to know her too. Sarah, I am so excited to have you on my podcast. I was absolutely blown away. First of all, what caught my attention was your piece that you played in the Miss Utah competition. Oh my gosh, it blew me away. And then the more I learned about you, the more I was like, this girl is extremely, you're just like so impressive. And so like everything about you is just blowing me away with who you are and oh my gosh. So let's just start with if anyone doesn't know who you are, a little bit about who you are and your background and sure. Let's start there. Well, thanks again, Trin, for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. My name is Sarah Sun, and I grew up in a small town in southern Utah called Cedar City. When mm-hmm. I was 16, I moved to Salt Lake City and graduated from Skyline High School. Oh, okay. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Both of my parents are musicians. They're from China. They're first-generation immigrants, and they've been teaching music at SUU. So music has been a huge part of my oh, upbringing. Okay. And when I was about 11, we started driving from Cedar City to Provo for me to take piano lessons. And that's about three hours each way. Yeah, so that is a, that's a long commute. Can I ask who you take piano lessons from or who you were taking from at that time? Sure. Her name was Dr. Irene Perry Fox. No surprises there. I'm <laughs> like, that's why you play so well. Okay, oh my gosh. You. She's been, yep. She was teaching back when I was taking piano lessons too. So she's amazing. She's oh, a legend. Really? That's so cool. Were you a pianist for your Miss Utah talent? Yes, but I mean, this isn't about me. It's about you. So (laughs) I'm just saying that that's impressive that you guys made that drive um, for Dr. Perry Fox, but also not a surprise at all. She really is like in that best of the best group. So that's really cool. So then after that? Yeah, I think seeing the sacrifices that my parents were willing to make for me to study at 
that caliber made me really want to work hard and to honor the input that they had been willing to put forth. And I was really into piano. I practiced four to six hours a day as a kid. And then when I moved to Salt Lake, I also realized that I wanted to go to an Ivy League school and was an international baccalaureate program. I ended up attending Cornell University in their business school for about a year. And I loved it there. I was involved in student government. Then when COVID hit, I came home and decided to serve Mm -hmm. a mission for my church. And this led to a lot of really neat discoveries about what I wanted to do with my career and where I wanted to be for the rest of my education, which led to me coming back to Utah afterward. And I was a student at BYU for a year. I was a member of the Young Ambassadors, which is a song and dance ensemble that travels internationally. And just recently I was crowned Miss Utah. So that's my life in a nutshell. That's your amazing life. Oh my gosh, I love it. And you served a mission out here in Southern California. Was it Southern California? It was, yeah. Yeah, that's so awesome. That's where I live now. Oh, cool. So that's so fun. And gosh, what a journey. So what led you to competing in the Miss Utah pageant? You had to win a local title first, but what got you into this like competition mode? Yeah, my sister had competed in Miss Utah just a few years prior. And I saw the ways that she grew as an individual just through competing and the process of preparation. She became a better speaker. She became so involved in the community. And I saw these all as very positive things. But when I was on my mission, I actually had the opportunity to share some thoughts about my faith. I was the first Mm -hmm. member of my family to join the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So So while serving for that denomination, a lot of people were curious about why a concert pianist would sacrifice so much to join this church. So I gave a, a devotional and a few hundred people attended. And that's when I realized that I had a passion for inspiring people and connecting with people and to share messages that resonate, no matter what your background is or where you're from. I think there's something so universal about knowing that we are all children of God. And that was what motivated my choice of community service initiative. And when I came back to Utah, I just knew that I wanted to, that I had a message to share and I wanted to keep sharing it. Oh, that's so cool. I have chills. That's just awesome. And then let's talk about your community service platform. What is that? Yeah. So my community service initiative is about reducing recidivism through education in the prisons. And recidivism is the likelihood that somebody relapses into criminal activity. And currently in our justice system, there are a lot of factors that influence somebody's likelihood to be incarcerated to begin with. But over 70% of inmates are rearrested within just five years of their release. And that is attributed to a lack of resources to help them acclimate back into society and sometimes even how they're treated while they're in the prison. So my initiative is geared toward humanizing this population that tends to be really marginalized or overlooked in mainstream society mm-hmm. and yeah. also striving to provide resources to help them reintegrate once their time is done. That's fascinating. So why did you pick that platform? I, I don't think in all the years that I've been a pageant spectator, I mean, I only competed a little tiny bit. And then since then, that's been like one of my favorite pa- silly pastimes is is being interested and watching different pageants happen and mm-hmm. following those. And I don't think I've ever heard of somebody talk about a platform like this. So what got you interested in that? 
Yeah. Well, there was actually a study at Cornell that showed that 45% of Americans has a close relative that's in prison. Mm. And oftentimes people that we know and that we love have people who are affected by this issue, but it's so stigmatized that people don't talk about it and it doesn't get the kind of attention that it deserves. And I didn't even realize that this affected me until I was talking to one of my good friends one day and he suddenly is in this really panicked state of mind. And I asked him what's wrong. And his father had gone missing and I wanted Mm. to help. And I was like, what can we do? Can we call the local authorities? Can we go find him? And he said that that wasn't an option because of his father's criminal record. He had been, out of prison, um, in and out of prison so many times that if the police were to find him, that could be really detrimental. And I realized that incarceration is something that really is so close to all of us in such an invisible way. And as my friend continued to open up to me and to share some of the things that he endured as a young person and the way that he had to step up to provide and care for his family members while his father was away, it made me realize that I really wanted to do something about it and that this is something really hard that a lot of people have to experience. Yeah. Well, I usually don't input this much personal, but I'm going to because it Mm -hmm. feels right. So this is how this personally affects me. So when I Mm -hmm. married my husband, first of all, Mm -hmm. he said, okay, you're going to meet my half-brother Dean and he's on an ankle monitor right now. And I was like, what is an ankle monitor? I'd never even heard of that before. Uh But he had been, he had a brother who had been in jail and was out on an ankle monitor. That was my first like person that I knew exposure to someone in the prison system. And then years later, after I married my husband, so four and a half years ago, my husband's brother was actually shot and murdered oh. in Salt Lake City. Oh, my gosh. So the person that killed him is in the prison system in Utah. And so I've watched my husband go through this just brutal grief journey of obviously like all of the very typical phases of shock and then super sad that the sadness part of the grief and then the anger. The anger was really hard. Yeah. But when he finally was ready to move on from that anger, he's now in a place where he's like, I could see this guy in person and tell him I forgive you. And he's ready to do that. And he has walked that journey to be in that place. And now what's so interesting is our conversations about that individual and about Mm -hmm. the trajectory of what we hope happens to him is like, we hope the best for him, you know, Mm -hmm. and that, that there's no, there's, there's. Nothing redeeming about hoping the worst for someone. Like, I hope you get what you deserve. And more like a, we we all need to be saved or redeemed from something. Like, we're all, we all make mistakes. And so why not, like, want that very best possible outcome for someone? So yeah. what you're doing is really personal to me and to my family in a way that I never could have foreseen 10 yeah. or 15 years ago or 12 years ago when I married my husband. So I think that what you're doing is incredible because it does, there's so much work that we need to do in giving people second chances in a meaningful way. Totally. Thank you for sharing that. That's so powerful and huge kudos to your family for being able to have that mindset. Thank you. That's something that can be really hard to develop, but I'm just so glad that you shared that story. That's really, it's really meaningful. Thank you. So what does action look like for you? Like what are now that you're Miss Utah, now that they've given you that big responsibility to like make a change, what are you going to do with that? 
I think a big thing is to educate the public and to change a lot of misconceptions that they have around mm. the criminal justice system. Yeah. And I think it's also important to initiate conversations about historical disenfranchisement um, mm -hmm. and racial violence and discrimination. There's actually mm -hmm. a documentary called Slavery by Another Name, and it talks mm. about how mass incarceration is an offshoot of American slavery and how racial injustice is deeply intertwined with the patterns that we see in the carceral system today. In fact, yeah. one in three African-American men are likely to be in prison at some point in their lives versus one in 12 Caucasian men. And I think that has something to say about our nation's history and how laws have evolved in order to disproportionately affect certain minority groups. And I think there are things that we can do as a general public to understand our nation's history and to reconcile with what we have done in the past and what we can do moving forward in order to create yeah. a justice system that really does work for all people. Let's say I'm a mom in Utah listening to this and uh -huh. I have kids and I could teach them something or maybe I could do something as a citizen. What do you tell people that they should be doing to help create change? I think the first thing is to put a human face to these really scary statistics. Um, a mm. book that I recommend that everybody read is Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. Mm. Yeah. And Brian Stevenson has also since started a nonprofit called the Equal Justice Initiative. And if you go to that website, which I believe is eji.org, we might need to double check that, but hopefully we can link that in your podcast yeah, bio. Absolutely. Um, there are a lot of great resources to see how you can get involved in your local area. And I think something about this platform too is that it's a really broad systemic issue that we're trying to tackle. But I think something we all have control over is how we see other people. And yeah. this loops back to the story that you shared. I think being able to forgive and learning how to take accountability for when we mess up are two sides of the same coin. I think mm -hmm. wishing the best for those who have made mistakes and recognizing that they are paying the price. Being in prison is not a good experience. It's really yeah. hard. And oftentimes people will suffer horrible mistreatment. But once they're done paying the price, they should be able to move forward in society. They shouldn't have to spend the rest of their life trying to live that down. And yeah. if they don't feel like they have any other options, if, they feel, if people feel like they come out just to be branded as a criminal, Les Miserables is playing at the Echo Theater here in Salt Lake. Um, oh, so good. Yeah, it's it's such yeah. a powerful story. And I think of the the narrative arc of the protagonist, Jean Valjean, and how he was in prison and felt like he could move forward until he completely just turned away from that chapter of his life and changed his identity and moved to a new place. Not everybody yeah. has the ability to do that, but to see what he accomplished after tasting redemption and just having one person believe in him shows that the human spirit is infinite and there's so much that we can accomplish and there's and we're so much more than the sum total of our mistakes or victories. Oh, that's so true and so good. And I love what you said too about forgiveness and and especially where you started talking about they've paid a price. What I also thought of is, and this is something that's been paramount for us in our family and the the things that we went through with my my brother in law. Mm -hmm 
is to realize that perfect justice is not going to happen in this life, at least in our belief system, that like there's no amount of sitting in prison that's going to make a wrong right necessarily. I know that we try to do our best in our justice system to set something up where it feels like justice is served, but really it doesn't matter just how painful those consequences are necessarily in this life because I feel like for me personally, the perfect justice will happen in the next life. And true. that's, I guess, based on your belief system. But for me, that brings me a lot of peace and comfort to just think that way that it's not our job to decide what someone else deserves necessarily in my, again, my belief system. That's God's job. So, and that takes a lot of burden away from me. Mm -hmm. I have a very similar outlook on things. I think, you know, I I do believe that Jesus Christ is the only true arbiter of justice and that we gain more in this life by learning to love despite enduring horrible wrongs that might not ever be made right while we're on this side of mortality. Yeah, I think as we take the higher road and while we make these choices to forgive, we may not even get credit for it, but it is developing the muscle of character. And that is something Mm. that like any other muscle in your body, you have to flex through doing hard things in order to actually change. So good. That's so well said. And actually, interestingly too, my father-in-law, so you said Skyline High School, he taught drama at Skyline for like 30 something years. And then, yeah. And then while he was retired, he actually spent a decent amount of time at the Utah prison working with inmates there. And my husband will tell me that that changed him. It changed completely who he was because he saw people, just like you're saying, humanized people who were in prison and got so much fulfillment out of seeing growth of character within those prison walls and then seeing people become ready to walk out of there and be a totally different person. And I love what you say about like, you are developing your own character by seeing other people in a different way and and maybe taking away that whole like us versus them and just seeing like we're all walking a very similar journey right yeah and being in prison is a powerful experience it's very spiritual and i remember feeling like it was sacred the first time i walked into that environment mm-hmm. and the first time i walked into a prison it was for volunteer training but as soon as i entered the room and just seeing how People came from all walks of life. Like the man closest to me had two sleeves of tattoos. And then right next to them was an elderly couple who was buttoned up in a suit and a skirt, just looking very prim and proper. And all people from all different racial backgrounds or from all different kinds of organizations that were sponsoring them to be there. Like from an outside onlooker perspective, you may think that this is the most disparate group of of people that wouldn't have anything in common, but I had never felt so united with, Mm. with these individuals. And I think it's because we're all there because we believed in our common humanity between ourselves, between society, and also between the people who were behind bars and knowing that we had that shared understanding of what it means to be human was an experience that I will never forget. And it's an experience that everybody can have if they sign up to volunteer at the prison it's they just need to pass a background check and be over 21 years of age but there are definitely ways for civilians to volunteer at a prison near them and it's something that i that has changed my life that i would really recommend to anybody who has that opportunity that's awesome 
Okay, I want to shift gears a little bit and ask you about something else that completely impressed me about your becoming Miss Utah. And that is your your whole discussion piece around being modest and Mm -hmm. choosing modesty. And the reason why this really extra impressed me was because you did that and you won. And I feel like a lot of people feel like they got to pick one or the other. Like you got to pick either being modest Uh or being in the running to actually win. And there's there's one or the other and there's no in between. And I love that you just said, I'm going to do what feels right to me. And then because you stuck with that, and all of the other wonderful things that you did to prepare you, you won. And it wasn't in spite of, or it wasn't, you you didn't have to choose one or the other. So tell me more about that. Sorry, I'm probably totally taking, oh, no, that's like, so taking away your thunder, but let's, let's <laughs> talk about it. Because I thought it was absolutely incredible. Thank you. I That means a lot to me. I think modesty isn't really about what we wear. It's not necessarily about the length of our sleeves, the length of our skirt, but it's an outward representation of an inward commitment. And I think that when you're competing in a competition like Miss Utah, the key to success is being authentically yourself. And I do not feel authentically myself without my faith. And I wanted to wear something that represents who I am on a daily level. And that was the rationale behind choosing the dress. And like you said, it did elicit some strong opinions. People were like, do you want to wear a modest dress or do you want to be Miss Utah? Yeah. Yeah. It was, that was like a very real topic of conversation, but I was fortunate that my local board in the local organization, I'd won the greater Salt Lake organization. They were very supportive of me being authentically who I am. Yes. I think that showed on stage. I think when you are comfortable in your skin and when you don't have to second guess what you're wearing or how other people are perceiving you, there is a light that just shows through. And in my belief system, I call that the light of Christ. I believe that's inherent to every human being and that the choices we make influence how brightly that can shine in our outward countenance. But I actually won the overall preliminary evening gown award. And then so the overall evening gown award out of all the groups, I, I tied with two other girls. But I think that was very validating to show that it's not yeah. even about the dress. It's about the girl in the dress and how she carries herself and who she is and what she's willing to stand for. Yes. And let's just also take a minute to acknowledge the other awards that you won. Can we talk about those too? Sure. Sorry, I'll make you talk about yourself and how great you are, but I just want to, I want to highlight it because I think it's amazing. Thank you. I won both prelims. So um, talent and mm-hmm. evening gown, they have a rookie award and an overall award for the preliminaries. And even though I was a rookie, I still won overall for both. And then I was awarded the overall instrumentalist, which is sponsored by Jennifer ward Oldroyd very kind of her. It was a $1,000 scholarship, which just speaks to her kindness and willingness to give back to the organization. And I think the most meaningful award I received was the Spirit of Miss Utah. Yes. This was also known as Miss Congeniality. And never before in the organization's history has the winner also won the Spirit Award. That is so amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. And that's something that I saw and was I really was astounded by that. Like, wow, this girl not only captured the hearts of the judges, and that can be done. Obviously, it's done every year by somebody, but also captured the hearts of all of your fellow competitors, too. That says so much. What do you think led to that? Like, what 
What was your priority going into Miss Utah that you feel like other people felt from you? And therefore, that was how you ended up with both awards. Yeah, I think it's about the one. When I think of what I want my impact to be, I think of how important it is to reach one individual deeply. Mm-hmm. Going in, I I knew that I would I probably wouldn't meet a lot of the people in the audience. I probably wouldn't meet a lot of pageant fans or even the judges after, but I would take away from the experience the relationships I made with the other girls. And I think all 46 of the other contestants could have been Miss Utah. I genuinely think so highly of them and think the caliber of competition in Utah is so high. It is. It absolutely is. They were all so impressive. I would have been so happy if any if any of them had walked away with the crown. And I before I showed up at Miss Utah check-in though, I made a point to memorize everybody's names <laughs> and have like something Amazing. about them and to have something positive to say to them when I met them. And wow. It was I don't know. I think I mean People are saying that this says so much about me, but honestly, I, I don't think so. I think they were genuinely just so easy to love and just such mm. wonderful ladies. And there's a strong sense of sisterhood here in the Utah program. And there's a strong sense of sisterhood that is exists in the Miss America organization nationwide. And yeah. I think it's because it's special to have girls from all corners of your state who are dedicated to making a difference, to developing their talents, to further their education, come together and to share and to celebrate each other and their strengths and their accomplishments. I think that's a priority I have walking into the Miss America competition is to make every girl feel like they matter because they do. And yeah, yeah, at the national level, that's true. At the state level, that's true. And even at a local level, or you have a lot of people who've maybe never even thought about competing in a pageant until a few weeks before the deadline. Like it's especially true at the local level because that's what this organization is about. It's about becoming your best self. It's about pushing yourself and it's not necessarily about walking away with the crown. Beautifully said. I want to ask you also about talent because we brushed on that Mm -hmm. at the very beginning and then just now. Why did you choose La Campanade? I'm sure I'm I'm probably saying that wrong, but that is like one of my all-time favorite pieces ever. Also, I've heard it said more than once, one of the most difficult pieces to Uh play. And conventional wisdom would tell a pianist, don't pick one of the hardest pieces (laughs) out there to play, but you did it anyway. Tell me about that. Yeah, it's actually an old piece for me. So I I learned it when I was 14. And I found it because I literally Googled hardest pieces of piano ever written. Yes. I found this article that was like, look up, that was so hard. So obviously I was like, let's learn this piece. So it's been, it's been in my repertoire for nearly 10 years. And (laughs) it's just, I don't know. It was just, it's just fresh in my feet. Maybe not fresh. It was just, I, I think it's so deeply entrenched in my muscle memory that I didn't really even think about the talent selection. I think I just, automatically knew that that was the piece I was going to play. And it, it, it's hard. It, it is hard, though. I will say that every time I bring it back, I have to practice like at least three months before just that piece for like an hour or two hours just for the 90 second clip. Like that's a piece where no matter how like it's just so muscular that yes, you just have to get it in your fingers before you perform it. 
but well i was yeah. dying that i heard just like a 15 second clip i thought oh my gosh whoever did this to me did such a disservice i need to hear the whole thing so if there's somewhere that it's recorded i need to know where that is because i want to hear it because it was just even that little like little taste of it i was like this is unbelievable so thank you i don't know if it's recorded somewhere but if it is i want you to tell me after this i'm super curious do you know yet what are you going to play at miss america i'm going to keep the same piece. Oh, same piece. Oh my gosh. Well, I can't wait. I can't wait to see it. Thank you. When is Miss America? So supposedly it's in January. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. The exact dates are still TBD. Okay. That's exciting. And getting ready for Miss America, what do you feel like is, what are you focused on the most as far as like what you feel like you need to do to level up from the Miss Utah level to the Miss America level? Yeah, I think for me, it's definitely working on my community service initiative. I think mm-hmm. having the having the title of Miss Utah is already has allowed me to walk through doors that I couldn't open without it. And yeah. I want to make change in the state of Utah that's going to last beyond my year and that I can carry with me even when I'm no longer Miss Utah. And I think that's something that they really value at the national level about your brand and your narrative and what you hope to bring forward at a national level. I think they want to have somebody who has an initiative that can be relevant to the political climate of the country that people can have dinner table discussions over. And I really want to have something substantive to talk about. Yeah. Not just for the sake of winning Miss America, but just for the sake of doing the right thing and having the opportunity to make an impact in the system that so desperately needs to be reformed. So that's the bulk of what I'm focusing on. I would love to partner with different community organizations. And there are some things in the works that I won't tell you about now, but if they happen, (laughs) we can follow up episode and we can talk about that. Um, But on the performance aspect, this is Miss America. Some people are calling it Miss America 1.5. Because mm. there was the original version when they competed in swimsuit and then the yeah. 2.0 version where it was social impact pitch and they didn't really have an emphasis on modeling. That's the version I competed in my local. That's the version I thought I was going to compete in at Miss Utah. Yeah. They introduced fitness in March. At, if I'm oh, perfectly. So I was like, oh, <laughs> this is not what I signed up for, but I just started at the gym. And yeah. I think going into Miss America, I, I, I know that I still have quite a ways to go when it comes to feeling like I'm at my best physically. So I just want to keep putting in the work to be as healthy as I can be. Yeah, I love that. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. That was a huge change where Miss America moved away from the swimsuit competition. Mm -hmm. And like you said, they, they kind of almost abandoned it. And then they brought it back in a different way of fitness. So what is the mindset, I guess, behind that? And how are you as Miss Utah, if somebody asks you, like, what is that all about? Like, how do you explain that? Yeah, I think, you know, the mind, body and the soul are all connected. And to have a healthy and strong mind and soul, you need to have a healthy and strong body. Yeah. My friend Kaylee Ross, who was Miss Legacy this year, she mm-hmm. said in her health and fitness voiceover that people can do the same. Well, she first started by saying that the body it houses our spirits and that's what makes it important and that people mm. can do the same diet and they can do the same exercises and still have completely different outward appearances and that that's a yeah. beautiful thing 
And I thought that was just so well said because health and fitness isn't about what you look like. Yeah, It's something that's really personal and individual. And I do like how this competition feels a little bit more well-rounded and holistic than maybe how I would feel in a swimsuit. I know that that hasn't been the case for everyone. And I really admire everyone who competed in swimsuit. (laughs) (laughs) I think that is so amazing. And I think it has been empowering for a lot of people. And I'm just grateful that I think this new competition incorporates elements of that, but in a way that I feel like is more, that I feel more comfortable with. I just, I think health and fitness has always been about like holistic health, but right now I think they're really trying to change the presentation of that competition so that it really does reflect a more holistic approach on what it means to be healthy. Yeah. And I saw that as you competed in that little piece, again, like the little clip that I saw, because I wasn't there. I don't live in Utah, so I didn't get to go to the competition. But just seeing like that little clip of you walking on stage in your workout where you looked so confident and healthy and happy. And when I saw that, it made me so happy because there always was a little bit of me squirming when I would see like the swimsuit competition of any pageant out there where it kind of feels like, oh, we're like putting women on display in practically underwear and then like judging their bodies. It's a little bit weird, you know, and even though I did it. But then watching you where you were just like healthy and happy and confident and it did, it represented this like piece of you where you're showing that you have taken care of your body and that you're healthy and that you're modeling that in a way that other women can look to and say, I want to be healthy like that too. And and it's not just about like 100% the appearance of the physical body, but more about how you're owning your overall health. Mm-hmm. I loved that. So I I thought that was great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm a fan of this new competition. I yeah, don't think I... Too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> me too. I think it's so great. So I want to also just talk for a minute about discipline because you brushed on that also at the beginning. And I thought what you said was so wonderful. And it's something that I'm trying to instill in my kids. I feel like piano instilled that well in me. How is the discipline that you learned from piano and your other studies following into this like new path as Miss Utah? Are you going to school this next year? And how are you going to balance being Miss Utah, getting ready for Miss America and potentially being a student too? How, How does that all work? So when you sign the contract, it says, I, yes, will commit to being Miss Utah. There's a clause that asks you not to be in classes for fall semester. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there is a significant service component to this role. And I think mm-hmm. something people don't realize is that Miss Utah is a full-time job and you're constantly yeah. in schools, you're constantly speaking to community groups, working on your service initiative, and it is very demanding time-wise. I think mm-hmm. my flaw as an individual is that I take too much on. I think I can, yeah. I think I have enough hours to live the full-time life of like four people, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so it, I, for, for me, discipline has actually looked like choosing not to be in classes this fall because initially mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to school. Like you will have to like chain me to my apartment if you want me to not <laughs> go to school. But after thinking about and really outlining what goals I want to achieve with the Miss Utah title, um, the ways I want to impact my community, the kind of legislative goals that I have, I realized that this will take more time than I have. So I'm yeah. besides school and just focusing on what I can until Miss America. 
and then at the conclusion of the Miss America competition, I'll be able to take classes again and I will probably go in with like 18 credits and just be like, okay, let's do this. But <laughs> I, I think the the Miss Utah board does have a a good way, I think, of helping people maximize their time, maximize the impact they can have, and then gradually transition back into being just a person again. A citizen of, <laughs> yeah, of the state of Utah. I love it. <laughs> I mean, Miss Utah is a normal person. I, I shouldn't say that. Not to, I, no, no, no. Like, but I understand. <laughs> I understand what you were saying. Totally. <laughs> so you also mentioned earlier in the episode that you are the first member of the Church of Jesus Christ in your family. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. So my parents, they did not grow up with any religion because that was illegal in China. And mm. they met some Christian missionaries, not of our church, but Christian missionaries who were just dis- disguised as English teachers when they were in China and were introduced wow. to the general principles about prayer, about deity, about Christ that they really latched on to. So, mm. when, so I was raised in a Christian home and I was also raised in Southern Utah where the Church of Jesus Christ was pretty prevalent, but I never thought mm-hmm. I'd join because growing up, the denomination I was part of was sometimes antagonistic toward Latter-day Saints, not as individuals, but just the faith. There were just some different doctrinal things that they weren't in alignment with and were sure to express the differences so that they could educate their congregation. Yeah. But I remember it being, I remember being a young teen and the the Supreme Court legalizing same-sex marriage. And at the time, that was really controversial Fortunately, it's not as controversial today as it was when it was first being legalized. But I remember there being a lot of contentious discussions, especially within religious communities. And that Mm -hmm. caused me to take a step back and think about what I actually believe about the nature of God, about the role of religion in society. And it prompted kind of a, I don't know, it just prompted like a season of exploration and I went to a lot of different churches. I explored a lot of different religions, read a lot of different books, and mm-hmm. felt like there was truth in everything that I was reading. Like I would read parts of the Quran and feel like this is so beautiful. This resonates with me. Yeah. I was constantly searching for truth and light anywhere that I could find it. But I think what really. I think God always prompted me to ask questions. I think I'm naturally a very curious person. Yeah. But I think having been fed a lot of information about the Latter-day Saints growing up and having had a lot of missionaries always at my doorstep as the only non-member family in Cedar City, I was very familiar with different programs that they had. But I remember being on a school bus one day and seeing a girl's personal progress medallion and asking her about the temple on her necklace and what that meant. And in my mind, I felt like I already knew the words that she was going to say. And Mm -hmm. she did say something very similar to what I had expected her to say, but it just felt completely different coming from her mouth Mm -hmm. versus from somebody else's. I just felt something. And I was so taken aback by the things that I felt through having her share her testimony that I just kept asking questions it was, we were on like a four hour bus ride. So I turned and pretty soon, like several of the girls had flocked to the front of the bus and were eager to contribute their thoughts and impressions. And somebody actually walked away. Somebody actually had a, 
a copy of For the Strength of Youth in their backpack and they gave it to me to read. And I was yeah. standards and I was like, this is beautiful. Of course, I want to live in a way that is going to be hard. You know, I think that's what really resonated with me is like the Latter-day Saints have such high standards. They don't drink even coffee or tea and they dress a certain mm-hmm. way and they refrain from using profanity and all these things I felt like were things that would elevate the quality of my life and help me become the kind of person that I wanted to be. So mm-hmm. I committed right then and there to living the standards and for the strength of youth. And I think God had just had a way of putting the right people in my life at the right time. I think uh, an experience that really, I think, kind of knocked me over the edge after maybe two years of exploring and taking lessons with the missionaries and talking to people was when I was in New York City. I was about to perform at Carnegie Hall and had gone a few days early to practice. And the last day, the place I was practicing was full. And I was like, oh, no, it's time to change my plans. What am I going to do? So I'm in the subway station and just out of desperation, I pray. And as soon as I say, and as soon as I say amen, I open my eyes and there are two sister missionaries that had just appeared seemingly. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, well, this is convenient. It's almost like God answers yeah. our prayers or something. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I, I told them my situation. They directed me to their church. And I remember following their instructions, coming out of the metro station and seeing the Manhattan Temple right across mm-hmm. the street from Juilliard. Yes, I was just a small town girl from Sears City and I saw these two buildings and they were both so symbolically important to me. I have on Mm -hmm. one hand, you know, my hometown and then on the other hand, this beacon of artistic excellence that I had aspired to my whole life. And in my heart, I felt like if God, I, I felt like God had designed that city just for me in that moment. And that's probably not true, but that's how it felt. And I felt like God was so aware of me. And yeah. when I walked into the temple, I, it just felt like home. And I knew that's mm-hmm. where I needed to be. And I came back, called my bishop, my local congregational leader. And I said, I'm going to be baptized. And he said, well, we can certainly help arrange that. Yeah. And since then, I've just known that it was true and that it was good. And that doesn't mean I haven't had questions. And that doesn't mean it was hard when I first went to Cornell and had to be kind of a representative of this faith that I'd only been part of for like a year and people always had really difficult things for me and when I was a new member there were still things I didn't understand I remember times being in the cafeteria and people would be like so tell me about like Joseph Smith and I'd be like sipping on a cup of coffee and I'd be like yeah well he's like he's great and I'm telling about the word of wisdom and how it's a great suggestion (laughs) I don't know there were things that I didn't like fully understand until I was a missionary but we yeah. believe that God gives us more light and knowledge as we seek for it and as we just try to do the best with the knowledge that we have. And I'm really grateful for what the gospel has done for me because I don't think I would be Miss Utah without it because I don't think I would really know who I was without it and who I really am aside from the degrees and the accolades and the things that people can see with mortal eyes. I think who I really am is is so much more than any of that. and. I know that I am an inheritor of all that our Heavenly Father has and that anybody who wants to inherit those same blessings can, that the gospel is available to every person. That's something that influences every decision I make. And I'm just so grateful that our Heavenly Father knows and loves His children. 
and whatever that may look like. I think we all call God by different names, but I think there is this feeling that we all have when we are in the presence of something good and true. And I love that there is diversity in this world and that not everybody has to have the same belief system to know that there's something bigger than all of us. Oh, all the amens in the world to that. I love that so much. And what an incredible story of conversion. The missionaries just appearing in the subway and then popping out. I can see it because I've been there so many times. The temple and then Juilliard and wow, what a visual. What a cool story. And then I just want to ask you really quickly because I saw an Instagram post about how you said at one point you shared about your parents becoming members of the church and of the same church that we're in and that you had never, you could never have envisioned that when you joined the Church of Jesus Christ. So can you briefly tell me like how that happened? Yeah. Well, the Church of Jesus Christ is very centered on, uh, I think families is a huge aspect. We believe that families can be together forever. Mm-hmm. And I knew mine would. I didn't really understand the mechanics of how that would come about. But in my heart, I just felt like God gives everybody opportunities to choose for themselves, whether it's in this life or in the next life. I had just assumed that it'd be in the next life. But after I joined the church, my older sister joined a few months after I did. And I think my parents really saw the difference that it made in our lives. And I think I know that the gospel of Jesus Christ completely transformed me. And I think that was evident in my actions and in the kind of daughter I was and the kind of sister and friend and student I was. And my parents had also been surrounded by so many faithful and kind, wonderful community members throughout their two decades living in Utah that Mm -hmm. I think the Lord had just prepared them to receive the fullness of the blessings he had in store for them at the perfect time. So when I was leaving for my mission in Southern California, a few weeks before I left, I was talking to my parents and I was like, I just want to teach you the lessons and invited them to be baptized. And they just did. So, oh my gosh. So you taught your parents the discussions and you committed them to baptism. Yes. (laughs) Amazing. That's epic. I love it. That's so cool. But I can't take all the credit for it, though, because I really do think that all the people who had loved them throughout the years were just as influential as I was. I was just kind of the person at the end to just give them that final push. Yeah, but still. (laughs) They were baptized in my good friend's swimming pool because it was COVID. And okay, yeah, just a really special experience. Oh, that's so neat. Yeah, my oldest was baptized in our neighbor's swimming pool too. So really? COVID, COVID was funny, but so many cool conversions, I feel like, came out of that time too, where people were just searching for something that meant something more than all of the chaos going on around them. Yeah. What a cool time for them to become part of what you loved too and and then be able to understand a little bit better what you were doing too while you were gone serving a mission. So that's so awesome. Thank you. Well, I have one last question for you, Sarah, and that is if there's one message that you want the people listening to this episode to remember, what do you want that one message to be? To know who you are and what you stand for. And I think from a secular standpoint, we call that having a strong personal brand, Mm, but I call it having strong personal character. And character is developed through invisible acts of service. It's developed through doing the things that other people don't want to do and to not expect to receive any credit for it. 
there's power in knowing who you are, but there's even more power in knowing who you really are. Mm. And we can find out who we really are as we ask the source of all knowledge and our creator himself. And I just know that the power of heaven can be opened unto all of us and that we can access divine inspiration and revelation in the modern day. I totally believe that's true too. Sarah, where can people find you if they want to follow along with your Miss Utah journey and watch you compete at Miss America? Yeah. See all the wonderful things you're doing. <laughs> you can follow me at on Instagram at sarahsun00. And you can follow the organization at Miss America Utah. So Utah, just UT. Miss America UT. Perfect. Well, we'll link those in our show notes too. And I can't wait to see you compete. Thank you. And I'll, can I just say one more thing? Yes. Just that if you have a youth group or an elementary school that you need a speaker at, I would be so thrilled to be able to speak to your group. So feel free to also email me at bookings at missutah.org. Okay, wonderful. I'm sure a lot of people are going to take you up on that. So thanks again, Sarah. You're wonderful. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple podcast and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.